and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast and another sad episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast <laughs> following another dismal defeat at home to this time Wolves. Mm. Uh, as ever, I'm joined by my best friend Andre Grayson. How are you, Mr. Grayson? Um, well, I normally say hello, Mr. Dow, and it's jolly. Uh, but the fact you've asked me how I am, I'm, I'm sad, really sad. How are you? Very sad. Um... <laughs> melancholy this is going to be horrible it really is going to be horrible and i've tried to gear myself up for this on the on the way home my mum phoned me um, on the way home from work and said are you looking forward to doing your podcast and i said not really i know (laughs) because because i don't want to talk about i don't want to relive all these uh horrible things that are happening to Arsenal Football Club at the moment but uh unfortunately we've we've committed to this so we'll uh we will persist yes well as you know i uh, downright refused to do a commentary or kit quiz because I couldn't bring myself to look back anymore because the present is so bleak that I just can't deal with the uh, uh, the two different worlds that we've lived in and I just needed a week off from looking back at happier times. <laughs> that's a soundbite in itself i need a week off from looking back at happier times i want to just live in the moment of this misery <laughs> let me suffer won't you let me suffer <laughs> yeah so uh, i took a little bit of persuading but uh, i have uh, agreed that we don't have to relive any happiness today we can just delve right into the misery of what is, what is happening at the moment so do you want to kick us off on uh, on, <laughs> on the weekend yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Wolves are a good team. Um, I think before the game, I did expect us to win, although I probably thought one all is probably where it'll end up being. Um, and I think, by and large, the game went exactly how I thought it might go. The only difference was they did nab a second. Um, and we are... So blunt in attack. Actually, this was the game, really. You know, I can talk and pretend that I've got these wonderful thoughts about what I thought during the game or pre-game. But having had a couple of days to sort of sit and simmer, first things first, can we stop playing at 7.15 on a Sunday? I spend all weekend waiting for a game for it to be a loss. We've got Burnley at home in two weeks at 7.15. We'll lose that. And I'm sick and tired of my weekends ending with us losing at home. It's three weeks. Three weekends have just been completely obliterated. And you wake up in such a bad mood on Monday. What I'm sick of is that it not only ruins the weekend that you're experiencing, it also ruins the upcoming week. Yeah, so the worst it's, it's, of both worlds. It's soul-destroying having that kick-off time because you get to watch all these other games thinking about what could happen in your game and then when the inevitable happens, uh, you're just left with this horrible sinking feeling. And I've got to say, go I, I, every time we lose at that, that kick-off time, I go to bed on a Sunday night and I'm so, so flat. And usually at about 10, half 10, I send you a message somewhere along those lines to say how flat and depressed I am yeah (laughs) yeah it's not it's not good and and as I've said to you before you know we are living in a world where at the minute football matters a bit more you know as we discussed on the last pod can't really get to a game um but sorry I was saying about the kickoff time and that's one thing and, and how horrible that is 
I think quite a lot got exposed in this game. And, and uh, you know, it's really hard when you lose. When you lose one game, you can, you can put it in its place. To lose three at home to Villa, Leicester and Wolves. And whilst they're good teams and they're sort of the, where we are at the minute, I think what you have to accept is there's so many tough games in this league and they are three sort of mid-ranking difficulty games. And not only have we lost them all, we haven't looked like winning any of them. So when we get onto some of these things and some overarching concerns I have, which I have a lot of, you know, you just got to look at that simple fact that it's going to be hard to go away to those teams anyway. If you want to get top four, even in this season, you have to win one. You, you know, you can take a win, draw, loss. That's fine. To lose all three in the fashion we did is just terrifying. I'm so worried. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty worried. Well, I say pretty word. I'm absolutely terrified about what, what where this could go because uh, I I texted you and said that somehow we we're, we're getting worse again. And we had that little bit of an uplift when Arteta came in, and obviously the FA Cup win. Um, I suppose paper papered over a lot a lot of the cracks. Um, and more recently, we look at the Man United win, and that that certainly has papered over the cracks. But it's just so alarming. And and obviously heading into the North London derby on Sunday, it's another game that you look at, and I I don't see where we win that game. I don't see us getting anything from it, and. Going to going to their ground and having that that feeling is is horrific, um, and the other thing which I wanted to say is that with, with the state of Arsenal at the moment, I, I'm I'm a teacher in a school for anyone that doesn't know, and when I go into school, I've got so many kids coming out to me and saying, "Sir, Arsenal rubbish," and I have no retort whatsoever. I have nothing that I can fire. Hit him, Tom. Hit him. <laughs> <laughs> and at, at least in the past, like I could, I could say, uh, um, we're not. We're this happened, this happened, blah blah blah. But I, I have nothing. I've got, I've got nothing that I can fire back. Are you saying you're getting bullied by? Your... I am. I'm getting, I'm getting bullied in the workplace by <laughs> my, my students. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, yeah, there's no retort. There's no retort. I mean, let's get stuck straight into it. I mean, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things here that I want to get off my chest. Firstly, about the manager, um, Arteta, who I, I want to work more than anything. I'm full of doubt now because it feels like it did it under Emery. The biggest yeah. difference is, I, I did that poll on our Twitter, sort of whether you'd make the change now and or give Arteta three windows. And... It was overwhelmingly, I mean, don't get me wrong, we're not the most popular social media page in the world. But not as popular <laughs> as my three votes. <laughs> not as popular as my personal poll between the Chinese and Thai. Um, and I saw what you voted. We'll we'll loop back to that towards the end of the podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was I I, I I was furious, but it, it's the least of my worries right now. But sort of <laughs> I, I've changed my mind about four times on this. Um, because I was what about the Chinese uh, or Thai takeaway. <laughs> no, no, I'm very clear and unequivocal on what that answer is. Um, with Arteta and with the manager, I was ready to sack him on Sunday at about 10 p.m. Uh, and then I've calmed down a bit and I've gone. Do you know what? These still aren't his players. Not one attacker. Well, uh, uh, but then some underlying concerns come in when I talk about this. Not one attacker is his, apart from Willian. And, and, 
you know, we'll come back to that shortly. But if I were to just run through the last 20 or so decisions we made as a club, apart from signing Saka to a long-term deal, apart from Gabriel and Thomas Partey, and even then, Thomas Partey, when you invest 50 million in a player and put all your resources, one thing you better bloody hope doesn't happen is he gets an eight-week-long injury when he's your only midfielder who can hold it together, which, of course, is exactly what's happened. Um, so it's sort of a, a half a tick against that. I reckon the last 20 decisions we've made as a football club have been the wrong one. Whether it's strategic, whether it's personnel, or whether it's players, I think... We are, and and this is the root cause of everything that's going wrong, we are making strategic decisions that are wrong. And then we back that up with another wrong decision. I I wrote some down uh, and I was going to ask you to rank them out of 10, but it will be here too long. I wrote down, (laughs) honestly, I wrote down these. I put Emery uh, speed of sacking too slow. I put Pablo Marie, Cedric Suarez, Mkhitaryan, Ramsey, Ozil contract, Willian, Abamyang, making Arteta manager, um, any signings, uh, loaning out um, Torreira, loaning out Guendouzi, uh, appointing Vinay in a senior position, appointing Edu. Uh, I even put in there Gunasaurus, but just, just, just to show the emphasis of like how many of those decisions, you know, because when I put Abamyang, signing him was a no-brainer. Signing him for three years on 300k is stupid, especially when one of the decisions we made as well is we 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 have a 350 grand player who isn't even making the squad, and this is a player who, you know, we we, we I'm not going to relitigate as they say the Urzel thing, but come on, he could, you can't tell me he would be a problem in this team. But what I think it goes back to is every decision we're making isn't working out. Every single one. Willian, after Fulham, we were ready to say that, yep, three years, great, job done. Now you go, why have we got him for more than the rest of this season? Um, You know, you could chuck in David Luiz uh, as well to this mix. You could look at, could Gwendouzi do a better job than Sabayas or Xhaka in that central midfield? The answer is yes. We saw enough from Gwendouzi to know the answer is just yes. Socrates is out the squad. Um, should he be out the squad when Pablo Marie has been registered? It's the middle of De- it's the start of December now. Socrates has been fit the whole time. Pablo Marie isn't even ready. Ainsley Maitland-Niles shut down Traore uh, against uh, Wolves last season away. He's not even in the squad. There is so much going on and it just feels like every decision is wrong. And we are getting annihilated for it on the pitch. And all our rivals, and our rivals at this point aren't top four. If you look around us, Southampton, Everton, Wolves, Leeds, Leicester, they're making the right decisions, or at least they're making 70% of the decisions right. I reckon we haven't made more than three good decisions in the last three years, and we're getting ruthlessly punished for it in every way. That is so hard to follow up on because you've covered <laughs> Sorry, almost every point. <laughs> <laughs> you've covered almost every point and, and you've covered them all brilliantly as well. Um, it's very difficult to know what to add to that because I agree wholeheartedly with everything. What I did want to say is that as football fans, it's, it's, it's bizarre um, because obviously when you win a game, you kind of, 
you compartmentalize um, those decisions and kind of justify them. Um, and then obviously when things don't go so well, it's it's the opposite effect. But I think we're in a situation now where this isn't a one-off defeat. This isn't a one-off performance. These performances and these results have been happening consistently enough this season that you, we're both in a situation now where I, this doesn't feel reactionary. This feels like... Um, quite a level-headed view of what the situation at Arsenal is. And I think if you look at our, our podcast when we recorded after the Manchester United game, I think you look at that and probably go, that's a reactionary podcast. <laughs> whereas whereas this one is is very thought out and we've given ourselves a few days since the result. And it's a lot more, I don't know, realistic about where Arsenal are as a football club. As you say, the teams that we are competing against are the ones you mentioned. I'd, I'd probably chuck Southampton into that mix mm. as well. Um, and those are the sort of teams. But I, at the moment, I can't see us beating them. I can't see us beating any of those teams, which is the most alarming thing. Um, I haven't even looked at our fixture list after Tottenham because I'm just too, too scared to look beyond that. Um, do, you, do you know who we've got after that? Yeah, I've got it open. Uh, uh, well, after Tottenham, we've got the, the pick-me-up we all need of Dundalk. Oh, yeah. Can't uh, wait for that one. A then we win. have what I think could be a record-breaking low shot count at 7.15 against Burnley on a Sunday. Yeah. Then on the Wednesday, we've got Southampton at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we've got Everton away. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my days. It's not over yet, Tom. Then that Tuesday, we've got Manchester City in the Carabao Cup. Fantastic. Four days later, Chelsea at home. <laughs> oh, my days. But then I having mean, you, said you... that, it goes Brighton away, West Brom away. And, you know, West Brom, we could beat. I, I'm looking at that fix of this. <laughs> I, I think there's a fair chance we beat Burnley. You, you positive man. <laughs> <laughs> You are yeah. too happy for this. You, you so deluded, positive, that, <laughs> so deluded that I think we'll beat Burnley at home. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure I think, the two thousand fans will cheer them on. Yeah, I think that's one that I look at and think we. I think we'll, we might win that. All the other ones, I'm looking at and thinking oh, we might pick up a couple draws here or there. But realistically, I think we're struggling in most of those games, and it, that's. I mean, where's that going to leave us? I think if we lose this weekend, we could we could be fifteenth in the table, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been getting um, Fulham are six points behind us. I we're at the point now where games like them playing Leicester on Monday on Monday night. It's like we as much as we think we're competing with Leicester, and that those are sort of games we won. We're competing with both teams in a sense because Fulham, as you say, if they can put on a bit of a run, which they've shown they can go to Leicester and pick up a win, if they could pick up another couple of wins and we don't, then all of a sudden we're in some serious trouble. I know. I'm not for, I'm not for a minute going to say that we're going to end up in a relegation fight because I think, fortunately for us, there are teams worse than us. But I think at the moment we are where we should be. I don't, I don't look at Arsenal as a team that's underachieving anymore. I see us as a bad team. And that's what's most alarming is that I think we are universally accepted now as a fairly bad and ordinary side, um, as opposed to someone who's just drifted away for a season. We look like this is where we should be 
And that's mm. so alarming. Mm. Um, I think the only saving grace that I can come up with is at the end of this season, there are a number of players who are out of contract who go off of the wage bill and that might give us a bit more flexibility in the transfer market. Mm. But even so, we're looking at the end of the season for, for that to take effect. And that's a long time to wait. And going back to what you said about about whether it's too early to talk about the conversation about Mikel Arteta losing his job. Um, personally, I think I still think it is because of the squad he's working with. But having said that, you've just rattled off a number of key decisions that unfortunately fall at his door. And those decisions are not proving to be the correct ones. Um, so it, it's... It's a conversation that the the longer these results go on for, the the louder it's going to get. So yeah. we just have to wait and see. But my initial reaction is that I think I still think it's too early. Um, and I think the club does need some stability. But I'm going to draw on a tweet that Tim Stillman said the other day that it's all well and good saying Arsenal needs stability, but there's no point in pers- um, persisting with a manager who is not the right person for the job just for the sake of stability. So that's probably a fair assessment of, of, of that situation. But it's a huge decision. Do you give him two or three windows and, and pray that he is going to be the one to sort this? Or do you go after someone more experienced straight away? It's, uh, that's a million dollar question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I would, I would, I would, I would sack him. I would. I, I honestly, I don't know how you come back from this. I really don't. I just look at the malaise across the team. I look at Aubameyang's face. And I hate saying this because I don't know who I've become. Because I, I, I took a long time to get round to the way of thinking on Wenger and less so on Emery. But I was only about three weeks. Uh, it was that Leicester game that broke me um, that I felt Emery had to go. If fans were in the ground, I think this would be worse, and I think the noise would be would be higher. The only thing, the only thing I keep saying is, uh, you know, we, we we've gone eighteen minutes. We've not really talked about the game, and there was one <laughs> bright spark in the game I felt, which was Gabriel, because yeah. when all else is falling around him, he does not look like a man who belongs in this team. He's superior to every defender in the squad. He has a calm head. He's a threat in both boxes, which is a strange expression because you're not really a threat in your defensive half. But he is strong in both boxes. I mean, the way he took that header was magnificent. And the strength he showed to hold off the defender was superb. And that's leadership, putting us back into the game. You know, and if Gabriel is the one that Arteta's put his hat on and they've identified him. And I do think we saw enough in the short time we saw him from party. Well, if that's where we're going, then I'm on board. And actually you have to sort of say, well, do you know what? He didn't, but again, this is where I sort of go, but he did sign Aubameyang. And and the problem I have with the three-year deal for Aubameyang is if he is now a busted flush, and I don't think he is, I don't think he is, but if you are now struggling to know what to do with him, you have got the same problem we just made with Ozil and the fact there's no one in our hierarchy going "Mm, look if you have to lose him for 20 million might be worth it and yeah it might hurt but remember when we sold Henri the following season we were a much better team 
Yeah. That could have happened. And if we replaced him with, you know, uh, what's the one with uh, the, the odds, uh, Eduard at Celtic that has been rumoured, just hypothetically, yeah. he could have been a great number nine and we could have had creativity on the flanks and we could have got another midfielder and balanced the team. Instead, we are where we are, um, which, which for me is just, it's just alarming. But the one thing I'd say about Arteta is he now has the best opportunity. These players need to play in a five... 3-2 or a 5-4-1 or 3-4-3, or three, three, whatever mix, you know, five at the back, <laughs> long story short, because it covers the deficiencies. He tried something. The This squad works with five at the back. That central midfield, if it's Xhaka and Ceballos, they need people behind them, else they sink way too far back. Because naturally, when you are a, a central midfielder, and, and, and when my legs went as a, as a centre mid, I sat in between the centre-halves to get the ball, which is just not what you do. But when you are terrified of a central midfielder just running through you or past you, you sag back onto your centre-halves. And your centre-halves hate it because they want the distances. Firstly, they want the distances to play out from the back and the central midfielder needs to show for it. Well, if you are Granite Xhaka and you have the turning circle of an articulated lorry and you are currently so terrified of the football that you can't pass forward when you get it, you drop further back. Which is why when you see that heat map of where Xhaka is, he's behind Gabriel because he's terrified. And of course he's terrified because for half of his Arsenal career, he's been caught out with the ball. Danny Ceballos, whatever, whatever happened in Project Restart, uh, that renaissance, uh, you know, I actually could have put Ceballos on here and reloaning him. Um, you know, it's not working and they cannot play in central midfield together. Uh, so the only uh, the only possibility now is to revert back to what did work for a period. And we've got to hope that whatever he found there comes back, <laughs> because if we don't, yeah. this can, this team only works in a three, four, three. And I, I, I don't know if Aubameyang can play through the middle and then he's back on the left and what we were all moaning about. Yeah, um, I, I, I do agree. I think that's probably the big takeaway is that he has tried so hard to deviate from that formation and certainly without having Thomas Party in there I don't think it is something that's sustainable I think you need to have um, go back to what was working with the with the wing backs um, as you say that does cover the some of the deficiencies what I was going to add is that when I texted you on the weekend and said um, <laughs> I, I think I said as you it might have been on Monday that I, that I texted you and said that they should do a compilation of all the passes where we've taken a negative option as opposed to a positive pass and then said, but it would be every pass and you just said a rewatch. (laughs) (laughs) And it's absolutely true, but I saw a clip of Gabriel taking the ball from the back. Um, His first touch is to put it into an attacking area and Granite Xhaka comes steaming in and just instantly knocks the ball back to Bert Leno. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, if ever a clip summarises this Arsenal team, it's that because we are so negative in every single thing we do. And you can understand it because it is a fear factor. And the longer our results go this way, the less confidence players are going to have to try to attempt these forward passes. But you've got someone in Gabriel who tries to do that from defence. But you've then got someone like Granit Xhaka who is doing the opposite <laughs> from midfield. So any progress that Gabriel is making, our midfield is just losing instantly because they just want to play that safe option. And it's it's not conducive to a successful football team, unfortunately. No, 
no. And, and I think I think it's just um, it's 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 just sad, isn't it? When all is said and done, because yeah, one of the things is we're on we're on thirteen points. In fifth place is West Ham, who we beat on seventeen. Uh, joined by Southampton and Wolves, seventeen. And if we won or got a point yesterday. We'd only be three points off there. We're only five points off Leicester, who, who you know, as we said, lost to Fulham. It's a very strange league and a couple of wins can fix it. And, you know, if we win on Sunday, it could change everything. I, I can't see how that happens. I mean, it's a bit like, um, the, I think the saddest thing, uh, and this is going to be hard to say out loud because I've thought it, um, but I heard it on another podcast and um, I've been thinking it for a while, but like Tottenham used to be 14th and their game of the season was us. And you'd hope that they would hope that they'd take enough points off us over two games so we didn't win the league. And we've swapped. And I, growing up, I never even hated Tottenham because I didn't need to. (laughs) Because they're irrelevant. Yeah. And we are, we are. Becoming irrelevant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tom, that's exactly it. We are. We're becoming irrelevant. No one, no one, I don't get, I used to get the piss ripped out of me if Arsenal lost because it happened so rarely. Now I think I I get sympathy. I don't want sympathy. It's pity, isn't it? It's pity. I want people to hate us. I want them to hate us. You know, uh, they don't. They find it, (laughs) sorry for us. I think uh, you summed it up over the weekend when you texted me and just said it's just utterly heartbreaking. And it, it really is because it's just, when you think there's a bit of a step forward, it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and you don't know where it's going to stop, which is the frightening thing. That's that's the real, really frightening thing. So you don't, do not know where it's going to stop. Mm. I'm just going to refer back to uh, you. Obviously, you like posing uh, difficult questions to me, and you've done that several times in the past. And I'm going to revert back to two questions in particular that you asked me. A couple podcasts ago, you said to me, would you take sixth now if I guarantee it? <laughs> and, I, and at the time, I said no, because it was such a topsy-turvy lead that a few results changed things and you, you just never know. If you offered me that deal again, I'm 100% taking that deal. You also asked me if, given the option, I would persist with Mikel Arteta or have Pochettino in tomorrow. And that's another one, unfortunately, that I think I would go Pochettino in tomorrow mm. because I think we'd have a better chance of succeeding, certainly on the short term, but potentially having someone with a bit more experience, I think would probably give us a better future as well at the moment. But those are two things that, I, I again, I think maybe that's reverting back to being on a sort of a positive trail, trail of thought and also wanting so badly that an ex-player that you that you loved you want him so badly to do well as manager um that sometimes maybe you don't think rationally mm. and i think now going back to those two questions those are two questions which rationally now looking at them in the clear light of day of what's been happening i think the answers are two very different things than i originally said yeah yeah and, and to be honest with you i wish i wish i when i asked them I sort of didn't know what you'd say. I didn't really know what I felt. I mean, I take eighth. I take eighth. Yeah. I take eighth. <laughs> I take eighth and not getting in the Europa. Um. For a year, I mean, 
we're not getting in Europe this year unless we win the Europa League. And I, 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 I go back to, and you know, one of the best things I was thinking about this, I was, I was out for a walk and I was thinking about the fact we're going to talk about this. I think it was last night. And I was thinking, um, you know, if we were in the stadium having this chat, especially after the Man U game, it would never be on record that I said something like, you know, oh my God, we're going to be amazing in two-legged ties in Europe. Uh, you know, <laughs> that would never be on record anywhere uh, because, you know, and now we've put ourselves out there and look, you know. Uh, uh, now we've go got 19 go, episodes of recordings yeah, to, uh, to fall back on. <laughs> I know, I can confirm. I... Uh, you know, you, you just sound... The thing is, is that when you win, when we win, we want to be... Po- I'm inherently positive about Arsenal. I want to be positive. I don't want to say it has every decision we've made in the last three years been the wrong one. You know, I swear if we if we were flipping a coin, <laughs> Arsenal at the minute, and I do feel like some decisions might have been made that way, we're just getting... <laughs> we're just getting the wrong we're saying heads it's tails we're like oh it's been tails a few times in a row okay tails oh it's heads like that's how it's going for us at the minute I just and I I I think all clubs are probably run like this and sometimes they get really lucky you know like sometimes they get really lucky Liverpool might have had it with Rodgers and let him go at the wrong time you know when they sold Sterling that could have been a disgraceful decision or Coutinho, but it worked. And, you know, I don't know that we're making that many wrong decisions. My one my one actually beacon of hope, uh, just regarding manager and club-wise, Southampton lost 9-0, which uh, any Southampton fan will tell you is brought up every time they have a positive result. Oh, and they lost 9-0 a year and a it half really ago. It really is. Every time they're, they're on, on TV, it's yeah. never far away, is it? In the first 15 minutes, you'll get... Hasenhutl's doing well, considering they lost 9-0. Right, but what I'm about to say is that line. Hasenhutl is doing so well and has turned them completely around since they lost 9-0. We aren't losing 9-0. And I know, you know, it's better to lose 9-0 than lose nine games 1-0. Certainly, I'd rather lose nine games 1-0. But um, the point I'm making is he really has turned Southampton round to their level, right? I'm not saying... Southampton have been turned around to be a top four team, but they look like a really good team. They've got their best striker out and they're still a threat. They've got a great structure and way of playing. He's influencing and bringing youngsters through uh, in a way that, you know, Southampton used so many youngsters, so many youngsters that come through. And I was reading about Southampton that he got all the youth teams playing the same way. So they'd be ready that if he needed an emergency, you know, third choice left back, it's not an issue. They know how to play it. They've been playing it. Um, and he's an example of sticking with it when things are going wrong. But there's not many other managers I can think of who have been at that low an ebb and turned it round. And that's why I'm so worried about Arteta. Fair, fair summary. Um, <laughs> I feel like this, this is a conversation that we could go back and forth all day long. I know. Uh, looking at, and, and I think we just end up sort of pulling up old ground over and over again because it's it's so frustrating and and I'm going to go back to that term utterly heartbreaking mm. um but there's a uh, another thing from the game I did want to touch on and obviously that was the yeah. the head injury to oh. um Raul Jimenez which was utterly horrific um as soon as it happened you could see it was a serious serious issue and serious incident but 
obviously the medical staff did a fantastic job with Raul Jimenez and from what we see on social media, he's, he's fortunately recovering well. Um, but I wanted to question Arsenal's approach to David Luiz because from my perspective and certainly from speaking to you, Andre, I know from your perspective as well, the decision not to take him off at the time was ridiculous. <laughs> I cannot believe he was allowed to continue till half-time. And it's all well and good Arteta coming out and saying, well, there wasn't, we didn't feel there was an issue that needed to be dealt with and we followed all the protocol. Okay, well, if there wasn't an issue, why did he need to then to be substituted at half-time? I texted you as soon as Rob Holding came on and said, I'm angry about this substitution, not because it's happening, because it absolutely should have happened, but the fact it's happening 40 minutes too late. David Luiz shouldn't have been anywhere near that pitch just for safety reasons. Um, and you can understand football clubs wanting to prior to get players on the pitch and not waste a substitute or anything like that on an injured player. But it's it, it showed from it was alarming from an Arsenal perspective that we allowed that to happen. And I uh, I felt kind of um, disgusted at that. I don't know about you, Andre. Um, yeah, I'm actually. Uh... I was. I'm still quite angry about it, to be honest. There are articles going around at the moment about how um, players shouldn't even be doing heading in training, and there's a lot going out round at the moment about dementia of older players. Yes, a different era. I, I think you always you reflect on it more when it's your club, and the fact, you know, the fact Mikel Arteta, the doctor, whatever, thinks that David Luiz, who did sit on the floor the whole time, by the way, he could have got up. And a little jog around. He was out of it. And you, I defy anyone to have... Fra- He's headed someone to fracture their skull. How on earth can you go on and play football? The last thing I'd want to do if my head was in half at centre-half is play football. But we're playing Wolves at home. It sort of taps into the whole thing, really. The fact that Arteta felt he didn't, <laughs> didn't have a substitution at his... Disp- I mean, we didn't bring Lacazette on until the 87th minute. So he clearly wasn't that desperate for all three subs. I was actually sad. I'm pretty sad about the whole thing because I don't understand how in this day and age, with all the sports science that's been involved in the game, with all the sort of research going on, that we A, didn't just bring him off because it's the right thing to do, but B, tried to justify it and said we'd done a test. I mean, it's just sickening. And, and, and football should be embarrassed, um, to be honest, I mean, I'm embarrassed about our approach, but but football itself should be embarrassed about its approach to concussion, to be perfectly honest with you. and Yeah, it's flavour of the month at the moment as well, because obviously I think it's, was it Bobby Charlton not that long ago who yeah. got uh, announced to have dementia uh, or early onset of dementia? And I just, I can't believe how slow football is to react to it. And that, that's all the interviews I've heard from specialists and things have all echoed that same sentiment that football is just way too slow to to respond to these things. And there's a prime example there of a situation where from the outside looking in, it was a no-brainer about what, what should have happened in that, in that scenario. And unfortunately, it's not been dealt with in that way. Um, and it just, it just shows that that is going to be a persistent problem. And also that... The results business is it, it, it feels more important than the human level at the moment, and that's got to change. That really does have to change. But unfortunately, I can't see where it does change for personally. No, no, nor do I, nor do I. And, and like I said, that was sickening. The noise, 
oh my god i just it turns my stomach just thinking about it you you felt it oh no i can't <laughs> i genuinely i struggle to talk about it but um i mean um you know i have uh my my irrational hatred of well not hatred i don't think a lot of my hatred is irrational but you know i i hate a player uh yeah. I, I love to hate a player i hated ryan mason uh who who had this and and actually hearing him talk hearing what had happened with check but the one thing i'd say about ryan mason is um you know his career was ended by this injury and i i just hope jimenez makes it back on the pitch because forget our approach forget everything that also was just heartbreaking, you know, and just just sad, really. Um, the whole thing was sad, and the fact we saw that happen, and a player's gone off with a fractured skull, and we don't even take off the player that's done it, is just not not what you want to see, really. It makes me, it just, it's, it's frustrating and, and sad. Um, but I hope he plays again. Because he's a great striker, I, I've always earmarked him as one one I'd love us to have. Um, yeah, but I just hope he makes it back. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a that was a fairly somber note. Um, <laughs> no, but I wanted yeah, to actually, but... I wanted to ask your opinion on something to just lighten it up, because uh, we haven't actually discussed this, um, and there's been a lot in the press with Chris Wilder and, and Jurgen Klopp. Um, and because we're not a relevant club, as we discussed anymore, you know, our manager's opinion. We're not in the conversation. We're not. <laughs> we're not. But what did you what do you make of five subs v three subs? I kind of keep tossing and turning between that, between that, because at the start of the season, when they proposed having the conversation about five subs again, I was adamant. No, I don't. I don't want that. It disrupts it too much. But there's so much football happening this season that. It does feel like it, it, something's got to give. And there's a lot of muscular injuries that think be happening. I think Jamie Carragher suggested it's like 30% up than it would be normally for, for injuries. So there's obviously something going on. Um, but then I saw another another clip of Gary Neville suggesting that if you break it down, the, the, the fixtures aren't actually crammed in like, like you'd expect them to be. So I'm not... I'm not sure. I don't think I, I know enough about the situation about to, to say that. But all I know is when there was five subs, we were doing an awful lot better. <laughs> so so maybe bring it back. Um, but I, th- I, I think in a year that we're going to have the Euros um, at the end of this season um, and a year when footballers didn't get a full pre-season um, and a full rest, because we, we've got to remember when they were off all that time, They most of the time they were training because we didn't know when football was going to return. So I think maybe with all that in mind, it would be a good idea to offer, well, to have that again until the end of the season, just so I, I suppose it sort of covers all bases and gives gives teams an opportunity to keep players as fresh as possible. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think I'm sort of leaning towards yes. I think I think the five subs would be would be beneficial up until the end of the campaign. But like you say, we we don't really matter in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I. I. I uh... I think go for it. I mean, I think one of the things I thought with um, Sheffield United, where he said no one's looking out for us, etc. They still have a couple of players on their bench who could make a difference as much as other teams do. You know, it's a bit like Man U bring on uh, Cavani off their bench. You know, what what a sub to have on. And yeah, they might also have another sub, you know, if Van der Bakes on the bench or, or whoever. But, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. It's... <laughs> 
everyone's we're never on a, a level playing field anyway. And just because someone's got a deeper squad than you and can change it, I, I don't. I I think it's time to change. I mean, I don't think just the reason I touched on that after the Jimenez thing is because I, I don't think we look after players. I think player welfare is awful, and we want to see the best players playing in the best way uh, instead of everyone looking completely fatigued the whole time. And I, I do argue, think we're seeing that. The argument that I, that I don't think washes is the constant reminder of if, if Man City are playing or if Liverpool are playing, that Klopp and Pep have not used their uh, their full quota of substitutions, but they're still asking for five subs. And I think that completely misses the point because certain <laughs> games are very, very different. Um, the one I will we'll refer back to is when Liverpool drew with Man City. And that was the conversation that was had because I don't think either manager used all, all three of their substitutions. And that misses the point entirely for me because that is such a big game that if things are working on the pitch, of course, you'll, you'll try and keep them. Um, but in certain games, and you're thinking about the bigger picture as opposed to that one individual fixture, there'll be opportunities where you want to rest players because you want to protect them from potentially muscular injuries, which seems to be happening so often. So I don't really like that argument. And I think uh, that probably is one that needs to stop. But as a whole, I think, yeah, the, the five subs would, would be a good idea to come back. But I think I think maybe the, the fact I'm sort of so happy to have that sort of an opinion is, is like if we refer it back to Arsenal, is the fact that whatever happens, it doesn't really affect Arsenal that greatly. And I find that, that that's really sad to think that. <laughs> It, it impacts us in almost no way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my days, this is a depressing podcast, isn't it? But it was always, you, in fairness, it was always going to be. If you wanted to sulk in misery, then you've, you've successfully Tuned achieved in. that. You didn't, want, you didn't want to have any happy moments. I really we didn't. away from that. This is, <laughs> I can't say how perfect this has been. It's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all in all seriousness, you know, I look at this week, and like I said to you, if we lose on Sunday, I don't know how I'm going to be able to talk. But actually, I've got a lot out. This is always very cathartic. Um, but I, like I said to you, you know, I'm, I'm excited still. I don't know what it is about me. I will be applying for a ticket to that uh, fateful Burnley game. <laughs> um, yeah. Whether I get, I, actually, I saw quite a lot of people that went for it, got it. Uh, and it seems like it's best not to choose your seat. And is it lower tier only, the 2000? I think so. But I think what's happening from the Burnley game onwards is that it's just going to be back to the ballot system, isn't it? Oh, is it? OK. Yeah, so I think the, the ballot that we originally applied for um, at the start of all this, when, when it was meant to restart in October, I think that still applies. And you are automatically entered into that ballot for any fixtures. I, so I, I think that's what's happening. Um, obviously, I'm I'm someone who unfortunately lives in a tier three area at the moment. So I, as for, uh, what Arsenal have said is that I'm not allowed to uh, apply for tickets because, well, that I shouldn't apply for tickets because of travelling into a, a tier two from a tier three. So, do, do you a know bit when? Disappointing. Do you know when the status gets looked at for tiers? I I, I would guess it's probably either weekly or, or maybe fortnightly. Um, but it's I, I will just touch on that whilst whilst that's in conversation because I, I on my personal Twitter account I did I did tweet about it and I found it really really hard watching people celebrating the fact that they got tickets for the Rapid Vienna game, which whether it's a game that I probably would have applied for 
had I been allowed to go to. Um, and it doesn't really matter to me what the fixture is. It's 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 the fact that other people are going and it's a game that I'm not able to go to. Mm. And it's not even a game that I'm choosing not to go to. It's one that I'd actively seek to. But unfortunately, because of the government restrictions, rightly or wrongly, that's another debate for another day. Um, I, I can't physically go. So I, I'm finding it really tough looking at other people doing that. And on Thursday, when we do play Rapid Vienna and I see people on, on Twitter with pictures inside the stadium or tweeting about the game whilst there, I think I'm going to find that really hard again. And, and being able to see fans on TV again is another one that I'm going to, I think I'm going to struggle to sort of come to terms with because I feel like I should be there. Yeah. No, I know. So, yeah. And I, and I, I think it will really, really hit home for the Burnley game because presumably by that point, my, my, my town is still going to be in a tier three. So I suspect I won't be in the running for, for that, for that ticket anyway. Um, but those games particularly, because obviously you, you think about the Premier League, that's that's your bread and butter fixtures of being a, a season ticket holder. And those are the ones that you expect to be at right, come rain or shine. So it's going to be tough. And the whole transition coming from 2,000 fans um, above that, that's going to be a whole tough tough thing as well. Um, but I do genuinely hope that the fans that do get back in can make some sort of a difference to the team. Um I'm just uh, regretful that I'm not going to be there for a while. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, looking forward to uh, 2,000 fans getting in to give them a chance to really boo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> make sure they get the few weeks' worth of booing done on behalf of all of us. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever booed, by the way, post-match. Have you ever booed? I've never booed, no, because uh, I, I don't really know why, because I, I, I can understand why fans do. <laughs> And I can understand the frustration, but ultimately, ultimately I, I sort of see my role as being a supporter who goes to support. And I suppose booing for me, that's, that, that doesn't, that's kind of counterintuitive. Um, I, I, so no, I, I, I've never booed and I don't ever see myself being that person who, who does that. No, no, I, 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 uh, I hear you. You know, you know me, I, I, I'm a, a, a visceral, uh, um reactor and uh, very rarely will i take out my frustration on a player the closest i've got was um at mustafi um uh, against palace that was the closest i've got to losing my mind with an arsenal player in public <laughs> i like the in public <laughs> <laughs> behind closed doors it's a different matter <laughs> oh yeah you useless <laughs> oh dear anyway well look onwards and upwards to, you know beat Spurs beat Dundalk beat uh, beat well beat Vienna first you know beat Burnley suddenly we're top four everything's rosy in the garden Aubameyang scores a hat trick each week uh, nothing to complain about yeah so fingers crossed the, uh, the next time we record we'll be on the back of uh, the first step of that fantastic journey being a victory at the toilet bowl yeah so fingers crossed that happens um and i think that's a very nice where uh, place to bring this podcast to a uh, a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> that's the first bit of happiness we've had so end it now yeah so if you would like to see how miserable we are on social media uh then you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram by searching for the boys in red and white podcast um you can also go to our website which hasn't been updated in a while because of us being 
fairly unhappy, but uh, <laughs> that is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. And <laughs> please, please come and comment and uh, tell us how much you've enjoyed listening to us moan. Okay? <laughs> so thank you, Andre, for your time as always. Thank you, Mr. Dow. And we will be back hopefully next week, depending on how depressed we are. Um, but hopefully with a happier podcast. Take care. <laughs>